Welcome to Season 3. And this tradition unlike any other. Welcome ladies and gents back to episode 2 of season 3 of the Business Culture Podcast. Awesome as always to have you with us and we've got a fascinating guest lined up for this episode, none other than Alison Brockovitz, currently the Head of Organization and People at Puma South Africa, uh, previously also of Cape Union Mart amongst other positions. Uh, just a wonderful insight into what it means to build a culture within an organization, uh, specifically focusing on learning and development and we just shared some really interesting insights uh, about what's working at the moment in that space and what is making impact when it comes to people and what is important to people at the moment in terms of pushing them in the right direction uh, I think mentally emotionally and just in terms of their specific skill sets I, uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview it's interesting how when you meet someone for the first time you get a certain feeling about them and I know we had a, a very brief meeting when you were still back at Cape Union Mart. And for those who haven't met you, haven't had the pleasure of spending time with you, we always like to to start the discussion or the conversation, just giving a bit of context around um, what your journey has been like up until now. Uh, we always call it a little bit of an executive summary, if you will, but just giving us a kind of a, a summary view of what, what your career has entailed up until now. So I always say for my sins, <laughs> I... Um, I, I sort of fell into to HR. I've, I've always been in the retail environment. And as a student, I started working in uh, with EdCon many, many years ago. Um, and from there, just my, my degree as well was a Bachelor of Commerce with Industrial Psych and Business Management. And the sense was that EdCon was a really, looked like a really great uh, role to go into. Uh, so I spent a good few years with um, EdCon, and that's really where I would say I... I, I fell in love with both HR and with retail. Um, and then being quite young, I wanted to move a little bit faster than EdCon was able to help me, unless I wanted to, to move cities, which I, I didn't want to do at that stage. And then I joined Cape Union Mart when it was still a 16-store operation. Hmm. Um, and that was an amazing experience. I was with them for a, a very long time. I grew and matured with the business. Um, and when I left, the, the company had more than a, a hundred stores. Of course, sure. again, tongue in cheek, I'd love to think that it was all me and that's how the business grew. <laughs> <laughs> but I, of course, I know that that's not the case at all. It was a, an amazing team effort and also a business with a fantastic culture. And, and yes, that's where that's where we met and our, our paths crossed. Hmm. Um, then I did about a three to four year stint in a, a with a consulting company called Omni HR Consulting which quite a few uh, people would know about. They do awesome learning and development interventions and felt more on the HR side. But I, again, I think wonderful business to be in, great to, to sort of try consulting. But ultimately, my lab was for retail, um, and, and that's how I ended up back with humor. So it's been a good uh, 20 years. I'm giving away my age. Um, it's been a good 20 years and um, are there days where there are major frustrations? Yes, but there are more days where I love it than when I don't. Um, and then just, from a, just to 
um, title together. After I'd studied, I then went back and did an MBA, which was just great from uh, giving me an all-round perspective. I've, I've always believed specifically with an HR and, and the environment I'm in, we call it people and organization, that mm. is, it's critical that you understand the whole business. Uh, mm. To really do justice to your role with uh, within human resources. Mm. It's interesting you end off with that because one thing that's struck me about you as an individual, uh, not that I've spent a lot of time around you, but something that's still, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you strike me as the kind of person who is a continual learner. I think someone who um, is always trying to develop a new degree of understanding on, on, on a certain subject, whatever that subject might yeah. be. Would, would that be an accurate yeah. way to describe you as a, as a person in, in the working space? Yeah, very accurate. Um, and I was actually discussing this with someone um, yesterday evening, that I, I wasn't an overachiever at school. I did what I needed to do. Um, but after I left school and I, I would say I found my niche, um, I, I constantly want am wanting to learn more. And I think COVID was a great opportunity. Lockdown was a great opportunity. I did a, a short course through Get Smart and I've done a few other courses. And it's just, it's that continual learning and it doesn't even have to be, be formal. You know, it can mm. be informal learning and you can be amazed by, by the things you learn just by having conversations with others. So mm. I'm super passionate about learning and development, whatever that learning and development might mean for you. Um, but just, you know, constantly, constantly chase that, constantly have a, a, a love to learn more. I'm also curious then to know, is that something which you think kind of inherently developed over time? Is it something that you think was always going to be uh, part of your evolution as a, as a person? Or do, do you think that something happened where you, you mentioned that at school you weren't necessarily that into academia as such, but... Perhaps yeah. that that yearning to to learn more developed over over time. Do, do you think that was just the natural course of your development, or was there something that happened that that, that made that more prolific? I think it's a bit of a yes no answer. So um, I've always wanted to know. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's just typically. I've always been very inquisitive about. I want to understand things, and I I, I don't want to miss out on anything. Mm. Um, <laughs> there could be a bit of a, a character flaw, but. Um, I don't like to miss out on things, but uh, I believe once I was in an environment interested, I was interested to understand how things worked. So mm. I didn't just want to take things at face value or go, okay, that's fine. I, I really wanted to understand it better. Mm. Um, and the more you learn, uh, the more you realize how little you actually know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just what happened. I, I want to understand. I, I seek to understand. Um, mm. And, and the more I know about an individual or about an area, um, the better I'm able to understand. And do yeah. I get it wrong? Absolutely. I mean, I still get it wrong. Um, I, I got something wrong the other day where I, I probably didn't clarify enough. Um, and I've now realized I need to find out a little bit more about something which will require a little bit of additional learning. So um, that's why it's a bit of a yes, no answer. Okay. Um, yes, but I've always been interested. Um, but no, in that it only really, you know, once the bug bites and you're interested in something, then mm. all the parents out there, you know, we, we worry about our children until they find something they're really interested in. Mm. Um, and then naturally you want to know more. Yeah, that that's that's very interesting. I, I don't know if it links into something which I've learned in, in, in the space, which is the, the power of contextual learning and that 
you mentioned mm-hmm. that once you got into a space that perhaps caught your interest or something that made a bit more sense in terms of the context that you wanted to get you know get deep into what that meant and how to do it better do, do you find that in your experience over time in this industry that contextual learning for for teams for people that are forming part of a company is, is that an effective avenue to to really kind of get or create better understanding amongst the the many individuals that you've had the the pleasure of spending time with yes that's said definitely um again mm-hmm. if you even take it back to school for a lot of people they don't understand it. Why do I have to study life sciences or, or geography or history? Mm. What, what does it mean to me? Like, whereas when you're in the work environment, um, you can practically implement them. Or these are additional tools that will help and assist you. Mm. Um, and when, when somebody's studying or learning or reading something and they have an aha moment where they go, oh, wow, this can really help me or this, this can help me with the situation. So I'm all about being quite practical. So whilst I love this, the theory of study, um, I'm, I love even more the fact that you can take something and say, well, fine, how can we actually use it? How can we put it into practice? How can it be operationally viable for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever that would be like. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I, I find that um, much like you in in the in the school environments in academia, I've, I struggle to understand the relevance of of certain uh, subjects or certain subject matter. Um, mm. And and I think bridging that gap between the theoretical space and and the practical application, which I suppose in retail is so critical, um, you yeah. know, especially with the fact that you're engaging with customers, you. You're not just using uh, product knowledge, for example, in a theoretical capacity, but you're actually needing to convey it and connect with the personality and all these different uh, skill sets. Yeah. It's it's so it's so key that you have a contextual understanding of how it fits into their lives. Would you would you agree with that in terms of, I guess, how you take the theory and put it into the practical space? Completely. Completely. Um, again, you know, and and this is also where where practice practicing what you what you've been taught so um you can be be given or or read something and if you aren't able to link it back um to to what a lot of what a lot of of times is happening now is blended learning Mm. so you do some classroom classroom learning you do some online and then you do something called work integrated learning which takes you back to the workplace and go well, this is what we learned in the classroom. Oh, fantastic. This is now how I integrate it into the workplace. Or I need to do a project and, oh, you know, it was it, it related to a customer or customer complaint or overcoming an objection. Oh, wow, I was able mm. to do that with the customer. I was able to see how that um, Yeah. I, I remember back... I remember back at Cape Union Mart. Sorry, Alison, I just uh, struck a, a chord there. But okay. I remember back at Cape Union Mart, you guys were were, were very good with that work integrated uh, element of the learning, where yeah. you know it was critical that there was uh, a clear bridge between whatever had been done in the classroom to how it was going to translate into the onto the shop floor, as it were. Yes, 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 and 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 very much. So. So uh, within Puma as well, um, mm. there's a lot of learning that takes place, and it's it's critical. A lot of early morning learning in the in the retail stores, and at a head office, a lot more. Well, since COVID, a lot more e-learning. But again, mm. with the e-learning from a head office point of view, what is critical? What what is key? What is um, a hot topic at the moment? Um, and we take short 
snippets. We do a lot of LinkedIn learning, mm. um, things that people can, again, apply. Mm. Um, you know, let's not be under any illusion that not everybody wants to do learning and development. Mm. And if you aren't able to, to entice them with something that's interesting and can benefit them, then a lot of the times you're dead in the water. So yeah. for me, it's a big thing to try to just mix it up a little um, do some things that aren't always the, the most interesting, but then other things that are super interesting. And mm -hmm. hopefully you strike a, a really good balance. Um, we, we need to be realistic as well in terms of our expectations of learning. Um, some people love it and others don't. So if I can try to get the majority to learn something, then, then my job is largely done. Yeah, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's, it's, it's tough to always get full buy-in and 100% conversion rates but it's um it's, it's finding that balance like you said I, I i'm curious to know from from your perspective um w w when you start talking about the the nature of of how learning has changed and i think it has changed substantially even with covid and and the need for an increased amount of e-learning um there's also been this trend around sort of rapid or micro learning as well which has has not always been the case if i go again back to the days of school uh, and perhaps you and I were, were were in that phase. It was a lot about textbook, uh, quite quite sort of substantial amount of content, and then then an assessment or an exam much later on. Whereas today, the sort of ratio between content and some form of an assessment or give back is 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 quite a lot more you know re repeated, if I can put it that way. You know, there's there's a lot more sort of incremental learning happening. Do, do yeah. you find that's been effective for you or do you find that that has been a trend that you've got on board with or not so much? Um, sure, really good question. To be quite honest, I, I haven't given that too much thought. But um, yes, I think, again, the pace of change mm. and and how something's relevant today and it's not relevant tomorrow Um and, and COVID has been, wow, it's just been the biggest learning for so many of us. Mm. We all thought that things could only happen in one way. And all of a sudden, um, people were Zooming and Teamsing and that yeah. was out the window. And, and so much has changed. We would never in the past have potentially have thought of having doing a podcast or, or not mm. doing face to, something face-to-face. -face. Good heavens, you just you didn't do that. Mm. Um, whereas now it's, it's, it's acceptable. And I think that's where, if I take that back to learning, sort of the bit learning um, doing small small parts of learning again being able to to take that back to the workplace then changing things up a little bit and and the next time you do some learning something's already changed or there's additional there's additional information to it I think that's hugely beneficial that yeah. the days of doing a course for one full week on on management skills just for want of a better example mm. It changes. You sit there and you have experiences from other people, and all of a sudden the, the learning takes on a completely different um, feel. And because you've got input from different people, so I, I think the shorter there's definitely space for for longer learning. I mean, don't sure. get me wrong. I, I'd love to ultimately one day do a doctorate, and, mm. and that's a very different kind of learning. But um, I think there's space for both. But in the workplace, wanting to be functional, wanting to be quick, um, wanting to collaborate with people, the, the shorter path of learning for me, I think, is hugely, yeah. is a huge advantage. 
I'm you not know, sure that answers your question. No, absolutely. Right. So well, I, you know, it, it actually struck a, a light bulb with me in, in the sense that I think you mentioned earlier about, you know, different people having different propensity towards learning, etc. But, you know, I think that the reality of the fact is that people have different bandwidths um, when it comes to learning and one's got to be cognizant of that, you know, especially when we're talking about th- those superstars at the, at the cold face of the experience. You know, there's a lot of lot of stuff going on for them, and you know the learning has got to kind of fit into to their their lives rather than try and sit on the side as a a side project. It's got to be integrated, as we've been saying. So, you know, sometimes that incremental learning is effective, and sometimes maybe there's opportunity for for longer. But yeah. got to be mindful of, I guess, who's who's listening. I, I wanted I wanted to um to kind of pick your brain also on this very popular notion at the moment of being, I suppose, purpose-led. And there's a lot of, I guess, Simon Sinek's kind of influence here with mm-hmm. starting with wine. I think most of us that are in this in this field probably latched onto that to some extent. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you in terms of your, your journey so far, if you take the evolution of learning and development, um, and I guess this is two questions in one but was there has there been a time in the career where there's been a bit of a light bulb moment like that where things have quite dramatically changed in terms of you know we 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 typically always focused on the what and the how and now all of a Mm. sudden it's the why that is the the point of origin um has was it like a seamless process for you to kind of integrate that if you have or or has there been any other big aha moments throughout your learning and development career that that you can reflect back on yeah. So I think I've always been one for why, the why. Mm-hmm. Like why are we doing this? What is the purpose? Why do we do the things we do? And, and I do believe the retail environment has always been very open to that. Mm. Um, although I think the last, again, the last two, three years, and, you know, when we start looking at things like what are the skills for the future? What is the future going to hold? What is the future going to bring? And I did some research around the Key skills for 2025, the key skills for 2030. And then you start looking at things a little bit differently. You know, um, emotional intelligence is huge. Collaboration mm. is huge. In the past, it was all about, you know, well, what do I need to do in my role? And uh, it, it was actually less about the people. So everybody used to talk about how important people are, but not everybody actually used to. It was a lot of the times it was lip service. Wow. And, and for me, the, the why is the people. Again, I'm trying to to express it as well as mm. I can. For me, why the people are the why. Why do mm. you do anything you do? It is actually the people, and it's about the people. If you don't have people, um, there actually isn't a why. Yeah. Um, because then they're needed, they're required, and um, treat your people well. And 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 that for me is probably whilst I've always loved the people side. Um, you know, looking after your people is critical in your why. Mm. Um, and it's the why isn't because you have to. The why is nearly that if you don't, um, again, you're, you're dead in the water. Your business is, is not going to, to ultimately succeed. Your relationships aren't going to succeed. Your, yeah. your, your, yeah, your broader network is not going to succeed. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, for me, that, that's a very big one. And you know, I, I, you know, the more you answer that question, the more I realize that I think to a lot of people that, that why element has always been inherent, but perhaps not so articulately um, you know, brought across or codified as, as what I guess 
um, Simon Sinek did with the the three circles and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. but I think it's um, it's something which you know if you are I think you naturally are people centric or people are there are a lot of people out there, especially in learning development, that are innately people centric and therefore buy into the why. But you touched on something there, which I think when you said it's all about people, which also you know, in, in my opinion, when it comes to recruiting people into companies, and I'm talking about anyone down to the person who's, you know, um, conveying the product to the potential customer, is that we, we, we often historically have recruited people based on either a CV or a skill set or some kind of work experience, um, and perhaps not so much on on whether they'd be a culture fit. And I wanted to yeah. get your, your, your input on that, because you strike me as the kind of person who would and I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth, but you strike me as the kind of person who would uh, who would rather want to make sure that they're a culture fit rather than a skill set fit. Um, what what's your take on that? Yeah, so, so I mean, complete disclosure. Um, <laughs> culture is huge for me. My my um, dissertation was around corporate culture. Okay. Um, I love culture. I um, it excites me when I speak about culture and and not the culture of this is how we must do it and and this is the only way we do it. It's about for me, culture is your DNA. Mm. It's how you speak. It's what you breathe. It's just it's it's a sense that you have when you enter an organization. And I can be very happy to say that wherever I've worked, culture has been massive and it's been a massive um, mm. driver of all the CEOs, uh, which has been made my life a lot easier. Uh, there's there's absolutely a place for skill set. Uh, mm. There's absolutely a place for the contents of your CV. Unfortunately, not everybody's brilliant with numbers and they can't be an analyst. And not mm. everybody's brilliant with people and they might not be in, in the people game or in marketing. So there, there's definitely a place for skill. But, yeah, I, I'm I'm quite a gut feel person. Mm. Uh, and for me, the sense is, can this person fit into who to who who we are? The yes. we are? Um, and, and there's no mold. And I, and I think for a lot of people, when they when they start out in recruitment, they will, well, how do I recruit? And, and what are the boxes I have to look for? And the first few are tick boxes, yes. But the rest of it is about the interaction, how the person comes across, how they feel in the environment. Um, and there's so, so much um, nonsense you can sprout in the interview. Uh, if you've mm. been around long enough, you get a sense of it. Uh, and for me, the, the fit has to be and, and please, Yara, I need to stress, I'm not talking about robots that everybody's the same. Yes. Definitely not, because the culture is made up of so many different people. But for me, one of the biggest things is, what is that person's passion? Hmm. Um, and if, if you can be passionate about something, and if it's aligned to to who we are um, as, as a greater we, uh, then then definitely I'll, I'll take that over skills um any mm. day but again i mean i'm not providing that there are some roles that require <laughs> a quick break to check in with our sponsor for this interview rca consulting rca have been doing work in the learning and development space for the last 12 years working with a range of different types of companies and organizations to facilitate the enhancement of their organizational culture through blended learning and performance management. To get a free needs analysis for your organization, go over to rcaconsulting.biz to find out more. Without further ado, back to the episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I 
I completely, uh, I completely hear where you're coming from there. But I, 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 I certainly advocate a very similar notion that, you know, culture. I think what's the old saying? Culture trumps strategy, or whatever the case is. But, yes, you know, yes. c- c- culture is a, is an interesting one because I do, also don't believe that everyone understands the true benefit of culture um, mm-hmm. within an organization. I think if you're more of a, the, the the ones in the north kind of person, um, you don't always understand the value. I, from someone who really does understand it, I, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some of the, the true benefits, the, the real be- benefits to a company that, that is able to integrate or manifest a culture almost throughout the the value chain. I mean, what are what are those real benefits that that come out of that? I think you've seen the the kind of uh, real life mm-hmm. outcome of that. Could mm-hmm. could you give mm-hmm. our listeners some kind of insight into what that actually does for a company in a positive sense? Well, it makes your job. Initially, it might make your job a lot harder. So, if you're starting out and you're still trying to grow your culture, mm. it takes a while for people to to understand what it's really about and what you're trying to achieve. And the again, it might be the language that you use or how you interact with people or how you have a specific day or what your vision is. But once you have a culture and you you built a strong foundation. It makes it a lot easier to to speak to people about their role within the organization and how they have an important part to play in the organization because a strong culture and here we're talking good cultures mm. because you, you can have a culture that that's not a great culture yeah um the, the the great cultures and the good cultures are people understand their role people understand that they're valued in the organization and people understand why they're they're valued now, that why they're valued and, and understanding their role is not necessarily just a job description or getting feedback in a performance assessment. It's, it's how we talk about our business, how we how people are on the journey with us, mm. um, that you're not speaking one language to one set and another language to, to the other. So, again, everybody understands. No one is left out in the cold. Mm. Everybody gets it. Everybody knows what we stand for as an organization. Everyone is invited to participate um, and everyone is equal. Mm. Uh, and that makes that makes for a great culture. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you with that in mind. I mean, it, it, I think you alluded to it a bit earlier, but it's it's certainly not easy to get to a place where you've got, for the most part, the culture truly integrated throughout the, the workforce. What were some of the, the challenges, or what are some of the challenges that you that you find yourself continually facing to to get to that point where I guess you know the vast majority of the people buy into that? I mean, I, I would have thought that from a leadership perspective, from a management perspective, the the the, the role of the manager and leader is critical in manifesting that culture. Um, what what do no, you? Sort of, yeah, that nearly. It, it, I shouldn't say it goes without saying, but mm. for me, that's definite. I can't. And you can't act in one way and tell others to act in another. Mm. Um, so you have to walk, talk, eat the culture. Um, and there are days where it, it can be challenging because sometimes you just want to go like, oh, really, yeah. today I'd like to just maybe deal with something a little bit differently. But you've got to remain true to the the, the culture. Um, and I think that's also where the, the authentic leadership comes out, that sometimes you have to have some tough conversations, but you've got to keep to what the culture of your organization is. And it is, it's 
completely a top-down approach. If, yeah. if it's not working right from the top, if, if it's not being bought into right from the top of your organization and being driven from there, um, then you, you're going to face a bit of an uphill battle. It's not HR's job. You know, it's not, okay, so we want this culture. So HR, you're going to implement and roll it out. No, mm. no, <laughs> everyone has everyone has a role to play and, and and it also can't be a case of oh well they have to pop it because they're generally not great people or or they they don't like to implement new things. Yeah. You can't do that because if mm. you allow for exceptions, um again it's gonna have to be facing an uphill battle. Mm. Can't be exception. Um and again, sometimes there are going to be some eye rolls around the things you do from a cultural perspective. And, I, and I'm speaking very generally here, again, mm. just based on experience. There are some eye rolls. You know, somebody doesn't always want to sing a song or mm. somebody doesn't always want to give a high five or whatever it might be. And, and here I'm speaking from experience and yeah. that I, I speak to other HR colleagues as well. But just ultimately, um, it's for the, the greater good of your business. And um, people then become, they start feeling a real sense of belonging. And yeah. if they don't feel that sense of belonging and you've had that discussion, well, I don't, you know, maybe then it's not the right organization for the person. But mm. I've, I've only had positive experiences with, with the culture. If it's a true culture and if everybody buys into it again, as I say, it becomes part of the DNA of your organization. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny how you mentioned those little points because I think there's uh, there are slight and small contradictions that happen in, in in all of our lives, and I guess the the authentic aspects of it must just outweigh those moments of I guess contradiction as much as possible. But but I think one thing that you alluded to there, Alison, which I absolutely love, is that the notion of building a culture is is that it is an infinite um, exercise. It's not a finite game, um, in the sure. sense that like you so well put you can't it can't be a project that's handed over to to a department it's it's essentially got to be fed um you know mm. indefinitely and i think I, I speak sort of out out of turn perhaps but I, I think a lot of companies make that mistake where they they say they want to build a culture and then it becomes a project um and perhaps that's oh, where no, but- I think worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where that's where that's sometimes unfortunately where where we fail. But again, we are all we're not infallible. So yeah. cultures also evolve as businesses evolve. Um, and sure, again, the COVID crisis. Look how so many businesses, restaurants that that then shut down, and and now they work from from kitchens and Uber. You have Uber Eats and Mr. Delivery and all these things, and and they would have to have potentially have changed their culture. And yeah. It doesn't mean that they, they've still, you know, changed it completely, but you, you have to evolve as well. Um, yes. Things don't stay the same forever. Um, so it's a constant involvement. Like you said, it's not a project where you go, okay, well, we've ticked all the boxes and now we can put it away. Um, and maybe in a few years' time we'll revisit it. Again, it's just part of what you, again, I'll say it again, it's it's part of your DNA. You yeah. believe that you it. And with that, I, I, I guess it's so inherently linked to the people that that comprise that company that, um, you know, there's, I suppose, that, and, and the reason why I'm saying that is I want to lead to my next question, which is you, you've had the, the benefit of kind of being exposed to two very successful uh, company cultures in, in Cape Union and I guess Puma from a, from, from a sort of a longer term perspective. Um, and as much as you can give away, I'd love to know the um, 
the, the, the comparatives or the, or the contrasts, I guess, between those two, both being very successful, but perhaps both being quite different. Um, is that the case or were there a lot of similarities? Um, you know, there's actually a, a lot of the similarities and to be, and, and to probably generalize more, or again, it's from the top down. So mm. when you have um, a CAO, an MD, a GM that is committed and passionate to the business mm -hmm. and that drives it, um, that's how you, that's how you create a successful, successful culture mm. that, you know, it, it's part, again, it's part of what you do. So that for me is the biggest, the, that driving force of this is what we want our culture to be. We want it to be inclusive. Everybody can enjoy it. Everybody can be a part of it. Um, and in Puma, it's, you know, you will see on, on the, the websites and so on, we're big on being you. You know, we accept mm. any and everyone. You know, there's no secret. I'm not telling you anything I can't say that, People are accepted for whoever they are. Um, yeah. They must just have a love, a love for the brand and and for what we do and for what we stand for. Mm. Um, and and even likewise, even with KPN and I mean, it's been years, but it was be passionate about what you're doing, love doing, and and enjoy the journey. Um, mm. And and again, not from the top down. That for me is the greatest success. Driven from the top down, and being inclusive as a leader as well, including everybody in the journey. Yeah. Um, so it's not about one person. Uh, yeah, you have the the leader at the top, but but everyone's included in that journey, and everyone's invited to the table. Mm. The word that I kind of thought of was that both companies have always struck me as being um, inclusively aspirational, and, and I think you kind of alluded to that already. Is that it's you can you can be very aspirational, but but do, do it in an inclusive kind of way where you know you invite people along for the for the ride, and I think that's a very admirable kind of very successful way these days to get the right talent uh, you know on board with you, um, yeah. and and I guess even be able to traverse the more challenging times which kind of brings me to my next question which is you know obviously we've faced a lot of adverse conditions over the last quarter two years now um and i guess culture plays a massive role in that as well because it's i guess the way that you you also deal with challenges that defines your culture i'd love to know in in your guys space and, and in your particular responsibility what has it been like the last two years and and how how have you gone about providing the support and the necessary sort of uh, help to to your people to be able to kind of get through this and, and make headway? Yeah. Um, again, so COVID, it's not unique to, it's not unique to our business. It's yeah. not unique to South Africa. I mean, it's the world over. Um, and yeah, we've been back in the workplace since last year. We, mm. we came back. Um, of course, with all the, the necessary protocols and with people working some days on some days off. Um, and in the previous uh, organization I was working in, it was the same. Um, you you do people, and this is feedback from people, whilst people were, were quite worried about COVID, they were also missing um, the, the camaraderie uh, with the... Um, so in our environment, it was just it was making sure that we were able to to immediately work from home. Mm. Um, we had the the necessary technology to work from home, and just staying um, in touch, uh, staying in touch with people, continuing to have the kinds of meetings one would have. Um, 
that that's that's what's worked really well. We also have great wellness. Um, we have got great wellness opportunities for people. We have people that are able to call in if they need uh, necessary help from um, external external sources. So that has worked well for us. But um, I'm happy to say people are really happy to be back in the office mm. and trying to get back to a little bit of, of the normal. Um, it just again, more generally speaking, people I've spoken to, and, and it's great when you've got a network of, of HR people or just generally people that you chat with in, in various corporates and smaller organizations that people actually need people. Even mm. the introverts who would, again, roll their eyes when they need to work in an open plan office or when somebody's speaking to them too often, that they've missed, mm. they've missed having people around them. Um, and, and we do need people. So for a lot of the, the commute, the daily commute, they don't have that anymore. That's been great. But more and more people I speak to are like, I really want to spend more time in the office. Um, and again, this is not necessarily where, where we are to say humor, but just generally, I'd love to see my colleagues a little bit more. Or I'd love to just interact with people. Um, yeah. And, and it needs to be really conscious and mindful because um, I think there are a lot of repercussions that COVID has had that we potentially haven't even seen yet. Yeah. By people maybe not not being able to, to see others. And even if it's just, you know, the smile, the smile across the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and a nod of acknowledgement. Um, you, you don't get that across Teams or, or Zoom. Or, you don't get that virtually like you do in person. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's it's interesting how one only realizes how much you, you miss it when it's when it's not there, which is the old cliche. But I, I think it certainly oh, yeah. has become a, a reality in people's um, minds, I suppose, and in the hearts as well of what's, what's important to them. I, I think you might have answered this question already in your in your previous answer, but what do you think is the best thing that will come out of COVID for you know in your environment? The thing that will the thing that changed, I guess, that will remain that way because we never thought about it doing it that way before. But because we've done it and because we've realised it's such a good thing or such a valuable addition, you know, we're going to kind of keep it going forward. Is there is there one thing for you that that kind of sticks out? Wow. Um, I think I think technology um, mm. and our ability to use technology um, to to our, to our advantage um, mm. and and if I can elaborate on that, but people are starting to learn a little bit more about what technology can do. Mm. So what teams can do, or there's whiteboard, or there's being able to split into separate meeting rooms and things that you could you would never consider in the past. Mm. Um, and again, just conferences and webinars and things that one attends um, that, again, they would have cancelled in the past um, if it was bad weather or people couldn't get into it. I remember back, was it three years ago, um, that Cape Town had this terrible weather warning. Um, and I was attending a conference at the CTICT and half the people didn't arrive because of this terrible weather warning. And it really wasn't that bad at all. But <laughs> imagine if it's now, everybody just would have done it online. So mm-hmm. I think the greater use of technology to our advantage, to mm. see it as an advantage, um, and now not at a disadvantage. I mean, sometimes, again, as I mentioned, it would be great to see people physically, but to mm. use it to our advantage. That's been one of the big things from a work. work. 
Yeah, it's it's funny how, again, I think it goes back to balance, doesn't it? Where, you know, technology has been amazing in terms of being able to solve the problem intermittently. But like you said earlier, we've also been craving the ability to go back and, and physically see people, etc. And I guess it's just a matter of finding the balance between the two, um, where you kind of get the best of both worlds to, to the greatest greatest extent. But um, yeah, I suppose trial and error will hopefully get us get us there sooner than sooner than later. I, I, I wanted to ask uh, last two questions before I let you go. Um, is you know the, the, this whole d- debate around the the remote versus office or in office dynamic? You know, we we're always trying to find and understand what the what sort of what different companies are doing in that respect. Have you guys kind of? double down on on something going forward where you you're quite happy with that approach or is it very much still up in the air as to what's going to be the best way to kind of move forward we're quite clear to um that we work we pretty much are in in the office Mm -hmm. um we we do have a policy where you can have a work from home day but we are largely in the office um there's a lot of collaboration that goes on and as much as i've said again that technology is great um we have stores our retail staff are in stores we have a big warehouse our warehouse staff in stores so um it's as important for our head office and our regional office staff to be to be Mm. i I would have thought that speaks very much into your uh into your culture uh, and i suppose gives an insight into what what is really important in, in your environment so uh, it's, I think staying staying true to who you guys are very much so. I I wanted to end off, Alison, if I may, with um with a question which we we like to try and ask at the, at the end of of most of the the podcast. But if you could give me three words which I guess would define your um your impact on the working world when all is said and done and you hang up your hat for the for the last time. Um, what, what do you what would those three words ideally be for you? Only three words, Rob. You can't do that. You can't do that to me. Less um, is more. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's just come back to bite me because I often say that to others. But uh, um, again, it might sound cliched, and it's four words. So, so mm-hmm. sorry, but to to have or five words actually to have made a difference. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd like to I'd like to elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. Um, to have made a difference in, in whatever way it might be, uh, we underestimate how much of a difference we can make in people's lives. So it could be the smallest thing. And, and I've had people come back to me about something that I'd forgotten I'd potentially said to them. Um, and they said, like, do you know how much of a difference they've made in my life? And mm. I'm going, I sometimes feel guilty because I want to remember that I'd, I'd said that. But, yeah, to make a difference that people need to understand that they are unique um, and that they really can, they can make a difference. Um, and I, if, if anything, if I'm able to help people to think differently, to look at things a little bit differently and to realize their potential, then, then I've made a difference. Again, do I get it wrong sometimes? Absolutely. But I'd like to think I can get it right more than I get it wrong. So, yeah make a difference there we go there's three words make a difference i think we can definitely accept that uh, that answer <laughs> I, I i always enjoy chatting to you because i think beyond just your your wonderful insights i think your um your overriding or overarching intention is always one which is always felt very very genuinely and authentically and i think that's also a big part of your success in your career is 
And I think we have a natural intention that we pass along in, in the way we communicate or how we react or whatever the case might be. And I, I always think that, you know, from from your perspective or looking at you as an individual, I think you've always been very authentic in, in the way that you've dealt with not just the, the, the easy stuff, but the more challenging stuff as well. And I think with that in mind, that that end goal of leaving a, a positive impact on the world or making a difference is certainly one very much in your grasp. So, yeah, I just want to say thank, thank you as well you. for your time. It's, you, it's it's greatly appreciated. And like I said, I wanted to interview you for, for a long time. And I'm sure the, the episode will be very well received by, I think, the rest of the rest of the community, which are really so passionate about moving people in the right direction. 